everybody. My name is Shauna, and this is the American English Podcast. My goal here is to teach you the English spoken in the United States. Through common expressions, pronunciation tips, and interesting cultural snippets or stories, I hope to keep this fun, useful, and interesting. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Hope you're having a nice day. A while back, I posted an episode about French words in English, and I got great feedback. For that reason, I've decided to follow that episode up with another episode about a similar topic. 10 words a day, German words in English. Just like in the last episode, you'll learn 10 new words in English. First, I'll present the words in a story. Then you'll get the definitions and new example sentences. If these words in particular are not new for you, that's fine. In that case, this audio will hopefully refresh those words in your mind and increase your confidence using them. As with the French episode, we're dealing with loan words. Loan words are words that are borrowed from other languages. They aren't originally English words. So it's important to pay attention to pronunciation. You may be wondering, well, how do you pronounce German words in English? The pronunciation of a word depends on how common a word is. If a German word is common in American English, naturally there's an expected way to pronounce it, even if it's not how it would normally be pronounced in German. If a word is uncommon, the average American will do one of three things. Number one, they will try to pronounce it correctly, but not super correctly. Number two, they'll pronounce it wrong and very wrong because they're pretty sure they're not going to get it right. Or number three, they'll describe whatever it is using English words. I'm an advocate for trying to pronounce a word somewhat correctly. However, you should do whatever you feel comfortable doing. A quick tip for German, their W's, which they pronounce as V, 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 we would pronounce as a regular W, a W, W, W sound. For their V, which sometimes sounds like an F, a F, F, F sound, we would pronounce that like an American V. So instead of Volkswagen, which sounds a little bit like an F to me, we would say Volkswagen. Volkswagen. Do you remember the first time you traveled abroad? I do, and really well. When I was 16, a group of friends and I took a trip to six different countries in Europe. Along the way, I wrote in a journal, documenting my thoughts on the culture and the history of the places I visited, and also took hundreds, if not thousands, of pictures, which, of course, really helped me remember the different places we were. The majority of that trip was spent in Switzerland, Austria, and southern Germany, three countries where German is spoken. Of course, Switzerland also has Swiss German. As cheesy as it sounds, I fell in love with the landscapes, the lush green hills spotted with chalets. I loved the coffee culture and their afternoon cake. Europe left an impact. 
When the following year, a few exchange students from Germany came to my school, I befriended them. One German girl named Nina was extra special. And almost two decades later, we still call each other sisters. Meine Schwester. (laughs) I'll be honest, I considered inventing a story for today's episode, like I did last time. But I figured, why not share our story? It's real, and my hope is that it gets you thinking about your own friendships. Perhaps after this episode, you could even write a story about a friend you admire and share it with them, because I know I'm going to share this episode with Nina. Stay tuned until the very end. We'll do a pronunciation exercise where you can repeat after me, and you'll get the definitions as well. If you would like the premium content that goes along with this episode, the quiz, a transcript, which is the text for the spoken English you'll hear, as well as a transcript reader to help you work on your pronunciation, then be sure to sign up to season three or all premium content. Links to that can be found in the episode notes. It all started in 2006, when I was a sophomore in high school. A sophomore is a high school student who is in 10th grade. They're two years away from graduating. At my high school, most people at that age, so around 16, do sports or they join some sort of club. My friend Stacy pushed me to join the water polo team. And I vividly remember thinking that I would get killed playing water polo. If you're not familiar with the sport, water polo is a contact sport in a pool. It's like soccer with your hands. You pass the ball, you try to score goals on an opposing team, all while staying afloat, right? Or you don't want to sink. (laughs) At my school, the girls who played water polo were tough. They had wide shoulders and biceps. They were the type of girls that you wouldn't want to pick a fight with on solid ground, let alone in water, while fighting for a ball. I was sure I'd drown. But I joined anyway, and so did a girl named Nina. Nina was an exchange student from Berlin, Germany. And at that time, she'd just arrived. I wasn't aware she was foreign. All I noticed was that Nina bore a striking resemblance to my friend Alina. In other words, she looked like my friend Alina. You could call them doppelgangers. And that is our first German word we use in English. A doppelganger is someone who looks exactly like another living person. In English, we're pretty flexible with this. So if two people look alike, you can say, oh, he's your doppelganger. So Nina was Elena's doppelganger. And I told her that. Wow, you look like Elena. The funny thing is, she didn't respond. I think my comment caught her off guard. I think it surprised her. Perhaps she didn't understand what I was saying. My comment caught her off guard. It wasn't until later that I realized, oh, this girl is German. And I soon discovered that despite our different backgrounds, we were very similar. First off, we were both really silly. At water polo practice, we wore goofy swim hats. And I remember jumping out of the pool, pretending we were sperm. 
<laughs> which is kind of funny. We both also had a strong sense of wanderlust. Wanderlust means a strong desire to travel. In German, it would be pronounced Wanderlust, but in English, Wanderlust. We had Wanderlust and loved the idea of experiencing new cultures and foods. I'd ask her, in Berlin, do people drink coffee with a scoop of ice cream in it? Is that a thing? Or do people eat ice cream in the shape of spaghetti with strawberry sauce on top? Those were two popular things I'd tried overseas that I hadn't eaten or hadn't seen in the United States before. She'd, of course, ask similar questions. And we'd compare food and school and culture, and it was just fun. Apart from wanderlust and our silliness, we also both had a sense of schadenfreude. Schadenfreude is an advanced loan word. Well-read Americans know it and use it, probably more frequently in writing than in spoken English. I think just because it, it looks tricky and it's kind of difficult to pronounce. But uh, yeah, schadenfreude means to experience joy from someone else's failure. Now, let me explain. One very memorable day during water polo season, someone discovered a mysterious pile of poop in the deep end of our school pool. School pool. I have to repeat that. <laughs> practice that one. Now, our coach eventually canceled practice for sanitary reasons, but before doing so, he asked if anyone would be willing to get the poop out. Our friend Tyler volunteered. Now, Tyler was a funny guy, so don't feel so bad that we were laughing at him, but he put on a pair of gloves swam to the bottom of the pool and picked up the poop. Now, Nina and I and the other members of the swim team were at the surface with our goggles on, watching underwater as the poop dispersed in his hand and in the water around him. You could just see the brown surrounding his face and his body, and it was disgusting. And none of us could hide our schadenfreude. We all laughed hysterically at his disaster of a situation. When Nina and I weren't at the pool, we were out exploring San Francisco, Davis, and the surrounding cities in my blue Jetta Volkswagen. Volkswagen is a German company, and Nina explained to me that it's a compound word meaning people's car, Volkswagen. In English, we say Volkswagen. It was nothing fancy. It wasn't a Porsche or a Mercedes. But as teenagers, we were thrilled to have our independence. My little car also had a great sound system, so we would blast loud German music, like Xavier and I do, or Die Fanta Vier, or Kolche Candela, <laughs> which is kind of embarrassing now. But um, yeah, we weren't embarrassed, and we would both scream the lyrics. Or I would scream lyrics that I actually knew. <laughs> Every day was sort of a cultural experience for both of us. We discussed how German words were used differently in English. Kindergarten, for us, is a grade between preschool and primary school. Usually kids go to kindergarten when they're five years old. She explained that kindergarten in Germany could also be for younger kids. We compared social systems and hot topics like homelessness, 
recycling, and how Germany got longer vacation time and better parental leave. She found it odd that Gesundheit and bless you were equally common in English as a response for when somebody sneezes. Gesundheit in German means health. We also talked about weird words like German chocolate cake, a popular dessert in the U.S., which is a chocolate cake with coconut frosting. It's not German at all. It was invented by someone with the last name German. We talked about German Shepherds, which is a breed of dog that was apparently created by Germans, and Rottweilers, another large dog breed. I had no idea that Rottweiler was named after a city in southern Germany. Cool, right? There was a problem, though. Nina went through a program that placed her with a host family in the U.S., and her host family wasn't very nice. My family wanted her to come live with us, and eventually she agreed. For the following eight months, we spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week together. It was kind of funny. It felt like overnight, a sister was born into my family, a 17-year-old sister. Nina actually turned 18 while at my house, and we talked about how 18th birthdays are not as big of a deal here in the U.S. as in Europe. In all honesty, it's a bit anticlimactic here. It's not so exciting. In the U.S., when you turn 18, the highlight is that you can buy cigarettes and lotto tickets. You can vote. You can get a tattoo without parental consent. But none of the big European milestones, I should say. For Nina, when she went back to Germany, she was able to get her license. Regardless of how 18 is celebrated in the U.S., we still partied. It was a fest. It was a German fest. Fest is one of those words that has most definitely been adopted into English. We add it to any type of festivity or event to indicate what type of party it is. In the U.S., you'll see Oktoberfest in lots of places now, sometimes with October spelled with a K, sometimes with a C. You'll see seafood fests, Swedish fests, color fests, taco and music fests. Uh, we even have the word sausage fest, which means that there are too many males at a party and not enough females. Wow, guys, this club is a real sausage fest tonight. Nina's party wasn't a sausage fest from what I remember. Uh, we had nine close girls that hung out regularly, and uh, we had a little smaller group of guy friends. But yeah, with them, we celebrated her 18th in all of the different time zones. Over the course of the school year, Nina and I studied. We went to Friday night football games and other sporting events. Somehow, we even ended up going to Mormon prom, where we <laughs> dressed up very modestly, and waltzed. Now, it was pretty lame <laughs> for us, but it was fun because we had each other. At real prom, which is a big deal in the United States, it's an official dance for juniors and seniors in high school, Nina was actually nominated for prom queen, which essentially means she was popular. People liked her. At real prom, <laughs> in juxtaposition to this Mormon prom, 
There was most definitely no waltzing, just a lot of dirty dancing, which I think was also a bit of culture shock. The thing with good friends is that downtime makes moments memorable. When you have nothing to do, you figure out what to do. Apart from long conversations over frappuccinos at Starbucks, which we called our cups of fat, we pushed each other around in shopping carts at Walmart, rearranged traffic cones so that cars would drive in circles, and a bunch of other weird, crazy activities. We were just teenagers. Growing up in the United States, in suburbia, there's not always a lot to do. It's not uber crazy or uber exciting. But that's typical. It's high school life. It's fun, though. You find things to do. And I think for her being an exchange student, it was all unique. In July, Nina left my house after eight months with my family. And I was distraught. Even if I didn't show it, I think she was a little surprised when she was leaving and I didn't have much expression on my face. But there was a deep-seated angst that we would grow apart with the distance, that the relationship we'd built would go kaput. The lovely thing about life is that when you truly want somebody in it, you make sure they stay. It's a choice. Of course, it has to be mutual. It's not like this can be a one-sided choice. For the next year, we were pen pals. These are people that live at a distance but send letters to each other from overseas or from across the nation, you know, from a distance. And we sent snail mail, so very slow mail. Sometimes it would take up to three weeks to get a letter. Uh, we also sent each other Christmas presents in large packages. Hers had delicious European sweets and chocolate. She sent me cinnamon star cookies and gingerbread. Raffaellos, which at the time we didn't have in the U.S., and Mozart balls, and marzipan, and bread flour, all these things that I loved. And it's funny because I would send her a bunch of crap back. <laughs> My box had Cheetos, her favorite cereal, which was Golden Grahams, Pop-Tarts, maple syrup, Cholula sauce for her dad. And yeah, these packages would be sent for years to come because our relationship didn't end. As I mentioned in the beginning, she's still my sister today. To hear the second part of our story and more adventures, stay tuned for part two. You'll also learn 10 more German words that are commonly used in English. Let's do some pronunciation. I'll read a list of the German loan words used in this audio. Repeat after me. Doppelganger. Wanderlust, Schadenfreude, Volkswagen, Kindergarten, Rottweiler, Gesundheit, Fest, Angst, or Angsty. Waltz. Uber. Kaput. 
Now let's go through the definitions and explanations of some of these. Number one, doppelganger. Once again, this is someone who looks strikingly similar to someone else. Repeat after me. I saw your doppelganger yesterday. It's a guy that works at McDonald's. In German, doppel means double and ganger means walker. So I suppose you can imagine someone else living in the world that looks like your double, like a second version of you. And in English, we kind of are flexible once again with this. If someone looks similar, you can just say, hey, it's your doppelganger. It doesn't have to be like spot on the same exact person. Number two, wanderlust. Repeat after me. I follow Instagrammers who post a lot about travel and it gives me an overwhelming sense of wanderlust. So wanderlust is uh, that desire to travel. Once again, this is a compound word. So if you're learning German, it's fun because if you understand one word, you can kind of guess the meaning of the full word. For example, here we have lust, which in German is lust, and that means like a desire or a passion to do something, and wander. So in the end, you have this desire to hike or roam around. Number three, schadenfreude. Pleasure derived from someone else's misfortune. Here are some examples I got from ChatGPT because I was playing around with it. Repeat after me. When the rival team lost the game, the fans couldn't help but feel a sense of schadenfreude. One more example. Repeat after me. I know it's wrong, but I can't help feeling a bit of schadenfreude when my annoying neighbor has car trouble. Number four, Volkswagen, Porsche, Mercedes. So these are some German car companies. Repeat after me. Are Volkswagens, Porsches, and Mercedes reasonably priced in Germany? I don't know. I always found it funny that there are Mercedes as taxis, not something you would see in the U.S. Number five, kindergarten. And notice here I'm pronouncing these like an American because we have an expected pronunciation for them. It's not kindergarten. It's kindergarten. Kindergarten. So you can't almost hear that D or the T in the word. Repeat after me. The kindergarten class did many arts and crafts projects. Number six, Rottweiler. So once again, that's that dog breed. It's usually black or tan, with a sort of very strong body and muscles, and they usually have big heads. Repeat after me. A Rottweiler that wasn't on a leash chased the mailman down the street. Number seven, Gesundheit. Repeat after me. Achoo! Gesundheit. Number eight, fest. Once again, fest is a party or a type of festivity. Repeat after me. There's a language and culture fest this week. Do you want to come? Number nine, angst or angsty. 
Angst means fear, and angsty means fearful or worried. Repeat after me. I've been so angsty recently, I think my boss is going to fire me for screwing up his file cabinet. I asked a bunch of native speakers how they would use these, or if they would use these, and interestingly, the older generation said they would use angst more, and people in their 20s would use angsty. Repeat after me. I was feeling angsty that our friendship would go kaput. Number 10, waltz. It's a very formal dance, the type of dance you could imagine Cinderella and Prince Charming dancing to. Repeat after me. Can you waltz? Number 11, uber. Uber can mean above or over. But in English, it's used as an adverb to intensify an adjective. For example, I should probably wear a nicer dress to the wedding. The venue looks uber fancy. So very fancy. When someone is described as being uber nice, it means they're very, very nice. Repeat after me. He's uber friendly. There's no way he won't get the job. So this is slang, and you're probably thinking, why is Uber called Uber, the carpooling company? Well, they're the superlative. They're the best. They go above and beyond. Number 12, kaput, broken or useless, no longer effective. Repeat after me. My remote control lasted for a week before it went kaput. Things can go kaput. They can also be kaput. So what's wrong with your car? It's kaput. That's the end of this episode. And if you're interested in signing up to premium content, be sure to do that. The links to premium content can be found in the episode notes. Also, be sure to stay tuned for part two. Once again, that will have 10 additional German words that are commonly used in English with the pronunciation exercises and also those descriptions. So, yeah, stay tuned. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the American English Podcast. Remember, it's my goal here to not only help you improve your listening comprehension, but to show you how to speak like someone from the States. If you want to receive the full transcript for this episode, or you just want to support this podcast, make sure to sign up to premium content on AmericanEnglishPodcast.com. Thanks and hope to see you soon.